If you joined us last week, we spoke with Kathleen Cook about a company she co-founded with her husband, as well as the grand opening of the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C. On today's episode, we have the privilege to speak with her other half and the other half of Cook Pictures, and that is her husband, Phil Cook. And again, it's C-O-O-K-E, or rather Dr. Phil Cook, who's an internationally known writer and speaker, Hollywood producer, and has a Ph.D. in theology. He's lectured at Yale University, University of California, Berkeley, UCLA, and is an adjunct professor at King's University in Los Angeles. To date, he's published three books and has a fourth book releasing next month called The Way Back, How Christians Blew Our Credibility and How We Get It Back. Phil has produced media programming in over 60 countries around the world. He was the executive producer of Let Hope Rise, the Hillsong movie, and Insanity of God. His company, Cook Pictures, also helps some of the largest nonprofit organizations and leaders in the world use media to tell their story in a changing, disrupted culture. Today, we talk about his new book, as well as tips on how to sell the gospel message. And you heard me right, sell the gospel message. We'll define that and make Christian media more effective and influential in our distracted culture. My wife and I have had the opportunity to know Phil and Kathleen for a couple of years now. It's always a joy to talk to them, and I'm very confident you're going to love this interview. Here he is, Dr. Phil Cook. Mr. Phil Cook, welcome to the Lucas Miles Show. I am thrilled to be here. This is fun. I actually just had a chance to interview your wife here recently and uh, hear about some of her new projects. And you guys have just been such a blessing in Christy and I's lives. It's, it's just great to have you on the program. Yeah, she told me some great things about the interview, so I'm looking forward to getting uh, raked over the coals today. It'll be kind of fun. <laughs> All right, perfect. I feel like that your name comes up anytime that people talk about Christian media, and always in a good way, just so you know. Oh, that's good. Thank you. Yourself and your wife and Cook Pictures, you guys have had your fingerprints on a lot of different projects over the years. Tell us a little bit about what you do. Well, we help Christians not stink at the media, essentially. We work with churches, ministries, nonprofit organizations. I mean, we live in a media-driven culture, and I feel very passionate about the fact that if we don't understand how to use media to communicate our message, we're just going to continue to be marginalized, continue to be listened to less and less, continue to have less influence in the culture. So I want to be there to help churches, ministries, nonprofits use the media more effectively. And the truth is, Lucas, you've seen Christian movies, Christian TV programs. There's a long way to go as far as raising the bar and try to be more effective. So that's really what we're most passionate about. Phil, you've been able to produce some really significant things in the past, Super Bowl commercials, PBS specials, films. You could really probably go into the secular arena on a regular basis and sort of write your own ticket. Why the commitment to help churches, ministries, Christian organizations the way that you do? Well, we've worked for plenty of secular organizations over the years, from Walt Disney Studios to tons of commercial companies. We were partners in a commercial company for a number of years. We did Super Bowl commercials there and worked for big companies like Mercedes and others. But, you know, I, I go home at the end of the night after doing a commercial for Texas Pete Hot Sauce, and it's not quite <laughs> the same as going home after doing something for the gospel. So we decided that we were going to focus a lot more on eternal values and eternal rewards 
trust me, there's more money in shooting a Mercedes car commercial or shooting a movie or TV specials in the secular arena. But we just feel like the message is so important. And also, we just live in a time right now where getting that message out well is tougher than ever. You know, research indicates that when I wrote my book, Unique, I discovered that researchers tell us that the average person today is being bombarded with about 5,000 media messages every single day, which means distraction is just enormous. And add on your iPhone and your mobile devices and your computers and everything else, we're just being overwhelmed. And so it's not so much the best message that gets through anymore. It's the message that knows how to cut through all that clutter and actually get noticed. And so I can't think of a more important time for Christians to be aware of these kind of things and understand how to engage the culture better with the message that we're trying to share. You're probably more familiar with the stats on this than I am. But obviously, the big concern is that with all of that noise that you just talked about, that Christians are losing their influence. Is it just merely a numbers game of there's so many messages out there and we have to break through that? Or is there something else going on that's causing Christians to lose influence? Well, that's a great, great question. In fact, it's so important. I wrote a book about it that's coming out in February called The Way Back, How Christians Blew Our Credibility and How We Win It Back. I co-wrote it with Jonathan Bach, who has a marketing company here in L.A. called Grace Hill Media. He's the go-to guy for the major studios trying to reach the Christian audience with their major, major movies, like Mark Burnett's Bible series, for instance, and any major movie that comes out. If they want to try to reach a Christian audience, they work with John. So John and I had sat around a fire pit many nights discussing why Christianity is losing its place in the culture. And at first, we thought it's a branding issue. I mean, we're marketing and branding guys. We thought it's a branding problem. It's an advertising problem. It's a marketing issue. So we started really looking at it closely, but the more we more deeply we kind of dove into it, we discovered that we're losing our influence because we're just terrible salespeople. You know, we don't have a harvest problem. We have a sales force problem. We just don't live up. And if you look at statistics that you mentioned, the statistics of most Christians of our Bible reading, church attendance, prayer, tithing, things like that, are horrible. I mean, they're embarrassing. And so the bottom line is, if we're not any more committed to our cause than that, why should the world be committed to the cause? Why should they care? They look at us, and we're just not living a life. You know, if you look at throughout the New Testament, Jesus' message astonished people. I mean, over and over, it talks about how people were baffled, astonished by his message. How many times are people astonished by someone sharing Christ today? Not very often. And so I think that we need to do a better job of, A, living the life, and B, sharing that life with the culture. Otherwise, they have absolutely no reason to get involved, and they see it as less and less relevant to their lives. Hence, we just continue to be marginalized and pushed to the edge. What do you say to Phil, to the Christian who hear that word sales and it makes them uncomfortable? I understand what you mean when you say that, Sure. but unpack that a little bit more. How are we selling the gospel, so to speak? Well, when I first started writing books about branding in context of the church, people got really nervous about the whole marketing thing. And the truth is, marketing is simply how to get your product in front of the largest number of people possible, and which is exactly what we're supposed to be doing with the gospel. The Great Commission is about how do we get our message, this life changing message of the the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in front of the largest number of people possible throughout the world. And so when I use terms like sales or marketing or things like that, it's intentionally meant to be a bit provocative, but the truth is we should be better salesmen. I mean, think about this. If the Christian life was a product, what would be on the package? Things like eternal life. Your past is forgiven. Your mistakes are blotted out. You have an eternal friend. You have eternal security. The benefits of the Christian life are unbelievable. 
unbelievable. And yet, we just don't do a very good job of promoting those things to people. I mean, how many listening to this podcast, I would challenge your listeners right now, how many have not only know your neighbor's names, but have you actually shared the gospel with them? How many people at your office actually even know you're a Christian? Most people today would have to say not very many. And so if we're not going to live the life more passionately than that, trust me, people are living other things more passionately. So why not be one of those guys? I just think that until we start really engaging the Bible, reading the Bible, praying, living a life that people want to emulate, we're not going to impact the culture in a very positive way at all. It's really fascinating. You mentioned your new book, The Way Back, How Christians Blew Their Credibility in the Culture and How to Get It Back. That's a pretty direct title that you have. And I got to think there's some Christians standing around there going, I didn't blow my credibility. I mean, really, how serious is this? Much more serious than you think. In the book, we outline the number of times people show up at church, Christians show up at church, not just, you know, people that say they're Christians, but committed Christians. That do, I mean, we went to Pew Research, we went to Barna, we went to Gallup, we went to all the major researchers, and we pulled all the numbers about how many people are actually reading their Bible, how often, how many people pray, how often, how many people show up at church. You know, in the secular world, a regular attender, if you're talking Starbucks or you're talking your favorite restaurant or you're talking Lowe's, or some other store, a regular attender is 19 times a year, which means out of 52 weeks, people show up 19 times to a store. Now, that's just regular attendance at a church is like 20% for people who actually call themselves committed Christians. That means committed Christians in America are only showing up to church maybe 19 times a year. Out of 52 Sundays a year, they're showing up 19 times. That's not going to make a great impression. So we're not living the life we should be living. There's no question. And I'm not here to judge anybody. And we all make mistakes. And we're writing as fellow passengers here, not critics. But the truth is, we go back to the early church in the book. I mean, they had no influence, no money, no power. Power, nothing. And the thing that absolutely historians feel today just completely changed the Roman Empire was that Christians did things nobody else did. For instance, Romans had no regard for life whatsoever, none. And Christians, I mean, which means they would have babies and they would expose them on the city wall or take them outside the city and just set them out there and let them die of exposure. That was a common thing in the Roman Empire because they had no regard for life. But Christians, these crazy Christians, would go out under cover of night, take in these abandoned babies, bring them into their family, raise them as their own. Other people in the community would contribute to help cover it financially. And the Romans had no concept for why anybody would do that. And other things, when the the plague would hit, the Romans would bolt, man, they would get out of the city to their country estates as quick as they could. But the Christians, these wacky Christians, would head right to ground zero and minister to people who were dying of the plague. All these things started adding up, and the Romans started reassessing, who are these people, and who is this God they serve? And historians today look back and say a significant part of the fall of the Roman Empire was that the way Christians live their lives, the Romans were eventually forced to say, wait a second, maybe this is a better way than what we're doing. This is something we should start emulating. And so part of our book is, I wonder what we could be doing today that would so engage the culture, so amaze the culture, so baffle the culture, that they would be forced to rethink who are these Christians and who is this God they serve? If we could do that, I think it would make a huge impression out there. My wife and I were talking about this here recently with our church. We just had, obviously, a while back, the Vegas shooting. We had also the massacre down in Texas and hurricanes, whatever you want to put on that list. And so oftentimes as local churches, you know, we start thinking about how we're going to help once the story 
story hits the news. But typically, once it's hit the news or shortly after it's hit the news, by the time you're able to organize and do all these things, oftentimes you're too late to get down there to really kind of make that sort of difference versus the preparation that we could have. Talking about Christians running to the sites of people being inflicted with the plague and everything else. And right. I mean, what an opportunity we have. I just think that's really challenging for us as believers today. But I think you're really tracking on something that would make a big statement to the world around us. Well, the world notices, there's no question. In fact, pretty much every television network and most major newspapers reported on Hurricane Harvey that when it hit Houston this past summer, that more church support came out, more relief came from churches than came from the government. And so churches throughout Texas and really across the country banded together and came down there and just immediately started providing relief, started helping people. And everybody noticed the impact that churches made in that situation. So there's no question that when we act like that, when we do things like that out of the ordinary, people actually notice, and that really makes a powerful impression. Have you enjoyed what you've heard so far on the Lucas Miles Show? I hope so. But if you are somebody who's out there and you're going, I need more of this, well, I have some good news for you. If you go to the App Store, you can download an app called the Oasis Network for Churches. That's the Oasis Network for Churches. And it is a free podcast, and you can listen to my Sunday morning sermons, messages. Uh, there's free videos on there, all sorts of goodies. And you can also live stream the Sunday morning services at the church that I speak at, which is Oasis Church in Granger, Indiana. And uh, you can visit that through the App Store. And now back to our guest on The Lucas Miles Show. Let's shift gears a little bit. I've been working in Hollywood with our film production company for the last couple of years. I know you've been working there a lot longer than I have. We recently had on the program actress Christy Swanson. We had Kaya Jones from the Pussycat Dolls and others who have shared some of the horror stories from Hollywood, some of the negative reports that are coming out. And I have an opinion on this, obviously, but I want to hear what you have to say on for Christians, is Hollywood the enemy? Absolutely not. Most of us have been raised with the idea that Hollywood's the enemy, and we've boycotted Hollywood. I mean, there have been big ministries out there that regularly boycott Hollywood, do petition drives online, criticize, complain. My thing is this. If boycotts worked, why don't missionaries do it? You know, why don't missionaries go to a third world country, surround a tribe, hold up signs, call them names, don't buy from them until they become Christians? (laughs) That's going to really win them to Christ, right? No, not a chance. If missionaries don't do it, why do we do it to Hollywood? Do we really think think by calling people names and criticizing them, do we really believe that's going to win them to Christ? I don't think so. What I've discovered in being here for 30-some years is that becoming one of them is the key. You'd be surprised at how uh, highly placed some Christians are in the entertainment industry. And by working on the inside, by getting Christians in the writer's room of a network sitcom or getting Christians on the team of a major movie, you just have no idea the impact we can have from the inside. So when ministries, you know, the truth is most ministries who criticize Hollywood are doing it as a fundraising tool anyway, but when most ministries criticize Hollywood, it's not helping. It's absolutely not helping the cause. In fact, I spoke to one studio executive a few years ago, and when I mentioned Christians, he said, oh, those are the angry people. Those are the people that do nothing but criticize us all the time for stuff. And so they actually, they've got us pegged as the angry people. So trust me, nobody wants to be a part of the angry people group. So we're not making an impact through anger strategies. Uh, We're making an impact when we go to be one of them, respect them, love them, be there when they need us, share our faith. That's the way to do it. So I don't look at Hollywood as the enemy. Truth is, 
any industry in America, lawyers, plumbers, teachers, the military, whatever, has just as many people that are anti-God or don't like Christianity. In fact, one thing I've discovered about Hollywood is most of them aren't anti-God. I mean, most of them weren't raised as Christians. They don't really care either way. But I found very few that are like adamantly anti-religion, anti-Christianity, anti-God. Most of them are remarkably open if we're just there to share in a normal, pleasant way. People are much more open than we think. I was talking with a friend recently about the story of Joseph and when really God establishes Joseph's influence in Egypt. If Christians would have written that story, as soon as he would have kind of gotten to that position, God would have said, well, you know, we got to pull you out of there. That's no place for a Christian to be. And he would have had to go back to Canaan. And But instead he stays. It says that except for when Pharaoh was on the throne, he was the most powerful and influential man in the land. And I think that's such a great lesson for us is that it's possible it to be a believer in these places of influence. That's brilliant. You have no idea the number of people that tell me I'm not coming to Hollywood because there's too many non-believers out there. They're not Christians. Think of it for a minute. What Joseph must have seen being behind the scenes in this incredibly pagan culture of his, he must have seen horrendous stuff, things that just made him sick, things that were completely against anything godly. And yet he understood that by being there, he was able to influence those very people. So I think very often as Christians, we need to stop thinking that we have to be where other Christians are. We need to start getting getting to where Christians aren't, because that's the place we're going to have the greatest influence. Great point. I appreciate your insight on that. Let's talk a little bit about some of the work that you guys have done. I mean, I know that you guys have worked on a lot of significant projects over the years, but you're coming off of a project that I think you shared with me prior to us starting that was about three and a half years worth of development and planning with the new Museum of the Bible in D.C. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, we were called about three and a half years ago to help tell their story in the media, and at that point, they hadn't yet broken ground. So we've been involved since uh, groundbreaking at the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., and we've had a film crew on the ground there literally about every month for three and a half years documenting the building of the museum. And then the grand opening was this past Saturday, and we were able to be there and film all the the exhibits in place. We'd been filming over the years in their archive, but it's an unbelievable experience. It's the most remarkable museum. The Smithsonian has said it's the must-see museum of the year. They had a delegation from the Louvre in Paris just about four or five weeks ago that was there and said, this is the most amazing experience they've ever seen. And so there's no question that Christians need to get out there. It's one of these kind of projects that you love because you feel like it's so amazing. You could bring your non-Christian friends to and not be embarrassed. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's one of these Christian projects that's so incredible. Even people who are not even remotely Christians. I saw some of them walk through just the other day filming, and they're just wow on their faces. They're just blown away because the Bible has really impacted every conceivable area of life. And whether you're a believer or not— You have to understand the impact the Bible has had out there in medicine and science and literature and the arts and all kinds of education, even the abolition of slavery. And they have, they deal with all those areas in the museum. So it's not just a building full of old manuscripts of Bibles. It's got an amazing immersive experience that takes you through how the Bible's impacted history, culture, science, everything. And it's really, really remarkable. Not to mention, it's got some incredibly immersive 3D kind of almost Disney-esque rides in it that really, well, one of them that's really cool is literally a ride, kind of a virtual reality ride where you fly around D.C. to see the number of places where Scripture is actually engraved in buildings. And trust me, you have no idea the number of places throughout 
about Washington, D.C., where scriptures are a key part of the building, and they were a key part of the founding of those buildings. So it's a wake-up call for people that think there was no biblical influence early on in this government, and just to see how much scripture there is throughout Washington, D.C., on all kinds of buildings, monuments, everywhere. So the Museum of the Bible, I, I just think if you get to go one place on vacation this year, you ought to go to Washington, D.C., and anchor your trip at the Museum of the Bible, because it's really, really quite remarkable. And we were fortunate enough to film it for the last three and a half years, and hopefully we'll continue telling stories about it and filming, because there is just so, so much to tell from their collection, their archive. I mean, they have stuff that goes back to Abraham. Filmed the other day a Bible, Martin Luther's Bible, with handwritten notes in the margins. They also have the letter, Martin Luther, the last letter he wrote before his heresy trial. And it's just remarkable to read. I mean, you're, he's saying, I may not survive. I, they may throw me in jail. They may execute me. It's just an, an incredible document to have of his last thoughts before we went to trial for heresy. And so this is some remarkable items they have and artifacts that are definitely worth seeing. Just to echo that, I've been to several smaller Bible museums around the country that I think are wonderful places and definitely something that's needed, you know, in various parts of the U.S. But I got a chance to go through just the traveling exhibit of the Bible Museum at NRB last year, National Religious Broadcasters. I was blown away just by the travel exhibit that they had set up there kind of prepping for what was coming in D.C. And so all the pictures I've seen, I mean, just the architecture alone is incredible. But to find a way to bring technology and and sort of this visual experience to really, I believe, the most life-filled book ever made. Just really, really remarkable. So I definitely encourage the audience to go out and see that. So let's talk a little bit about just some of your work with churches. I know that you've worked on these big, significant things, but you've also, from what I've seen at Cook Pictures, you guys have always had a heart for the local church as well and all different sizes. Absolutely. What sort of impact can the church make, especially a smaller church, by using media? Well, the truth is, if you only have 50 people, you can still use media effectively, largely because of the power of social media. Uh, we live in a world today where a housewife in Toledo can bring down a major corporation just through the momentum of social media. So don't ever think social media is just a tool for teenagers or you know friends and family to keep track of each other. It's great for that, but the truth is, you can have a remarkable ministry. Live streaming, no matter how small your congregation is, I, I met a pastor in Oklahoma City that has a few hundred people in his congregation, and yet 10,000 people watch his live stream every Sunday around the world. So even small churches, I mean, if you're a pastor out there, if you're a church member or someone with a passion for ministry, trust me, social media can be a powerful, powerful platform. I mean, I've got roughly 32,000 followers on Twitter, and I take that seriously. We have fun, we, you know, we laugh, we have jokes. However, I want to feed them. I want to encourage them. I want to inspire them. So if you just strategically look at social media, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or other platforms, there's some remarkable things even the smallest church in America can do. And so I would encourage people to take that seriously. Then beyond that, there's certainly other things. I can tell you this, for every church member or pastor listening, virtually 100% of potential new visitors will check you out online before they actually come and visit. So my question is, 
why is your church website so lame? I'm telling you, <laughs> if that is the reason, if your website is what keeps them from coming or encourages them to come, it should be the best thing you do. So number one, your website is not just some kind of a bookmark out there. It needs to be something that reflects your mission, your purpose, your calling, your community, and pastor's message, because it's going to be a key reason people will decide whether or not to come and visit your church. So we work with little bitty churches. We work with churches that go up to tens of thousands that do national television programs. We've had the privilege of working with people from Hillsong Church in Sydney, Australia, to Jack Graham at Prestonwood Church in Dallas, to plenty of other big ones, and we're honored to do it. But the truth is, we're also very passionate about smaller and middle-sized churches, because you can use media in such an effective way to engage your local community and help get on the radar. It's a very powerful tool. Speaking of developing your ministry platform, I have benefited a lot over the years from checking out a little website that you have called Phil Cook, and that's C-O-O-K-E dot com. Tell us what sort of goodies are at philcook.com and, you know, really <laughs> what can the average maybe pastor or ministry leader or just a Christian business guy find there? I'm uh, an obsessive writer, so I just write all the time, and so I'm constantly updating my blog at philcook.com, and I really write about the intersection of faith, media, and culture. So whether it's churches using media more effectively, whether it's Christians trying to make an impact in Hollywood, a lot of leadership principles, uh, how to use media more effectively. I'm always writing about that kind of stuff. So if anybody's listening and has a dream to make a film, make a movie, come to Hollywood or not, wrestling with that question, or how to get our church on the radar more effectively, how to create a communications team. We work with enormous number of church communications teams, helping them figure out what is the message we're trying to share? How should we share it? Where should we share it? And so all those issues are things that I deal with on my blog. If it's about faith, media, and culture, that's what I write about. Don't come for politics. Don't come for recipes or sports or anything else. Faith, media, <laughs> and culture is really the intersection of where I want to be. I encourage uh, all of our influencers and leaders out there that are listening to check that out. I know I was telling you before we started recording here that one of the most recent posts there on kind of the revolving door that happens in churches yeah. um, so oftentimes was something I'm going to bring back to our church leadership to make sure that they take a look at as well. So lots of goodies there. And is there a way for people to connect with either Cook Pictures or with you through that as well? Absolutely. Uh, cookpictures.com. Again, it's C-O-O-K-E-P-I-C-T-U-R-E-S, cookpictures.com. If you're a pastor, ministry leader, church has a need, we'd like to explore how we can help in media or communications. We'd be thrilled to talk. And you can send us an email from the Cook Pictures site or from my blog at philcook.com, and we'd love to chat with you. Awesome. Our guest today is Phil Cook at C-O-O-K-E, and uh, his new book, The Way Back, How Christians Blew Their Credibility in the Culture and How to Get It Back, is available. Make sure and pick up a copy of that, especially pastors and ministry leaders out there, you're definitely going to want to check this out. Phil, pleasure having you on today, and as always, good to talk with you. Thank you so much, Lucas. I appreciate it. If you've enjoyed listening so far to The Lucas Miles Show, then I would like to invite you to head over to my website at lucasmiles.org. That's lucasmiles.org. And there you can find all sorts of goodies, like my ebook, Unstoppable Grace, as well as my book, Good God. Also, if you haven't yet gone to lucasmiles.org slash missing chapter, you can go there and you can download a super secret chapter X, we're calling it, that didn't make it into good God, but I think it's got all sorts of great material and resources for you. So 
and the topic of that chapter is the story of authority. So make sure and head over there and grab that. It's at lucasmiles.org slash missing chapter. And please let us know what you think. 